Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Children of the Night. Last week we heard about possibly the first female serial killer in the United States. South Carolina had a much more recent serial killer by the name of Donald Henry Peewee Gaskins Jr. He was born on March 13, 1933, as the youngest of a series of children all fathered by different men. Because of his small size, he had the nickname of Peewee. His childhood was marked with negligence. Anecdotally, he learned his given name only when it was read during his first court appearance as a teenager. Growing up, he received regular physical abuse from a parade of his mother's boyfriends and allegedly drank a bottle of kerosene that left him with convulsions for several years. Starting early, he and a group of friends would perpetrate many crimes, primarily burglaries, but when Gaskins assaulted a witness with a hatchet who survived and identified him, he was sent to a reform school. There, likely because of his small size, he was raped regularly by classmates. He escaped from the school, married, and then strangely, voluntarily, returned to finish his sentence and was released at the age of 18. Two years later, he would be arrested for attacking a young lady with a hammer after, he alleges, she insulted him. Gaskins was sentenced to six years in prison, but after he was sexually assaulted by another prisoner, Gaskins retaliated by slitting the throat of his assailant. 
This added three years to his sentence. However, this seemed to be a turning point where he became the assailant instead of the victim. He escaped from the prison and joined a traveling carnival. Later, he would be rearrested, but then paroled. Following this release, he would then return to robberies and selling the stolen goods. In only two years, he was arrested for sexually assaulting a 12-year-old girl. While awaiting sentencing, he escaped, was again rearrested, sentenced, and then once again paroled. A year after being paroled, Gaskins would begin killing hitchhikers. For those of you who read the Jeff Lindsay Dexter books or saw the Showtime show, there is speculation that Dexter was inspired by Manuel Pardo. However, one interesting item about Gaskins is that roughly every six weeks he would have a feeling of, as he would say, bothersomeness, which seems similar to Dexter's idea of the dark passenger fueling his desire to kill. Gaskins would later claim that during this time, he had tortured and killed 80 to 90 victims, although these numbers are likely inflated. After a year of this slaughter, he would change M.O. of killing people without torture that he had some knowledge of and for typically personal reasons. Five years later, in 1975, a criminal associate confessed to the police that he had witnessed Gaskins kill two people and that Gaskins had confided in him that he had killed several other people who were on the missing persons list, and furthermore, where those people were buried. Gaskins was arrested and led police to eight bodies buried on his land. He was then found guilty of these murders and sentenced to death. This sentence was commuted to life in prison due to the South Carolina General Assembly's rulings on the death sentence. However, in 1982, Gaskins was hired by the son of a couple murdered by a man who Gaskins was serving time with. Gaskins managed to build a facsimile of a radio filled with C4. Yes, you heard that right, C4, in prison, and tricked the man into holding it up to his head to listen to this fake radio, which detonated, killing the man. Gaskins was found guilty of this murder and resentenced to death. His execution was carried out on September 6, 1991, by electric chair. As an interesting side note, the YouTube star The Angry Grandpa happened to have known in the 1970s Gaskins. The drinking buddies had gotten into a fight once in which Gaskins told him that if they were not friends, the man would be in his graveyard. And now, let's move on to our fiction for the night. We have a single story that comes from Victoria Leslie. V.H. Leslie has penned numerous tales of delicate beauty and chilling luminosity since her first story is published by Black Static in 2011. Her tales have also appeared in such respected venues and anthologies as Shadows and Tall Trees, Strange Tales, The Year's Best Dark Fantasy and Horror, and Weird Fiction Review. Her premier collection, Skeen and Bones, collects many of these stories. Link to her website will be in the show notes. And now we will hear Victoria Leslie's Timekeeping. One. Monday, eleven twenty nine AM. Time waits for no man. But Howard wasn't just any man and time would wait if it had to. Howard didn't like to keep it waiting if he could help it. In fact, the only time he had kept time waiting was June fifth, two 2006, and that was only for five minutes and 45 seconds, while he, agitated and bewildered, ran through darkened streets back to his flat, 
then around his workshop, hastily setting in motion the mechanisms to resume it once more. He had lamented the loss of those five minutes and forty-five seconds, but over the years he had managed to claw them back, a second here and there, and without too much bother he had set to write the universal system of temporality. No one was any the wiser. Why should they be? It was the first time Howard had ever been late for anything. He hated tardiness in people. He'd given up public transport for that very reason, and instead walked everywhere, reasoning that he alone possessed the only reliable record of time, his strides governed by the resounding tick of the second hand of his antique wristwatch. Besides, he couldn't go too far, and holidays were certainly out of the question. Who would keep time then? It didn't bear thinking about. No, that was one of the drawbacks of being time's keeper. His life was localized, limited to the immediate proximity of his flat and nearby shops. He had devised a system that enabled him to leave for approximately two hours per day. This window allowed him the essential time needed to run errands, pick up parts at the hardware store, and, occasionally, allowed him a little leisure. He'd usually arrive home at 11.30 a.m., half an hour earlier than he needed to be. Why risk being late? He didn't want another June 5th, 2006 on his hands again. But as he returned home from the hardware store one rainy January morning, he realized his compulsion to be home early was costing him an inordinate amount of his free time, three and a half hours a week, to be exact. And that was approximately 14 hours a month, 168 hours a year. Normally, he didn't mind at all. An occupational hazard, he would say. But on that particular day, as he walked along the gray concrete tributaries of the city, reflecting on the somewhat unusual thing that had occurred 21 minutes and 41 seconds ago, he minded quite a lot. And he saw in that moment, as the rain began to fall in a misty shower, causing car lights to blink on almost simultaneously, that his role as guardian was quite an inconvenience. The somewhat unusual thing was called Helen. 2. Monday, 22 minutes earlier, 11.07 a.m. Helen glanced at the wall clock, 53 minutes until lunch, she wasn't sure how her uncle had managed to stave off boredom. The morning had been duller than expected. The highlight had involved sorting her uncle's orders for his suppliers, followed by dusting shelves of long outmoded DIY products, clearly no match for the swankier variety found in giant superstores. And with no customers for two days now, she couldn't see how her uncle managed to keep his little store going all these years. If it were her business, she would sell up. The tinkling of the bell above the door signaled a customer, a sound so unfamiliar that Helen, crouched on the floor dusting a low cobweb-strewn shelf, bumped her head on the shelf above and let out a series of profanities. This was very unusual for Howard. Howard liked routine. 
Along with the customary toll as the door swept open, Howard was sure he had heard a muffled, "'Motherfucker!' along with other more colorful expressions. Even curiouser was that Mr. Tinton of Tinton's hardware store had vanished, and in his stead a woman emerged from the adhesive's aisle, a hand on her brow. She was dressed in a dusty blue overall, Tinton's hardware emblazoned across her chest adding further mystery. Howard hovered in the doorway. His natural inclination was to leave. "'Can I help you?' Howard turned to go. "'You're the first customer of the day, and that's saying something since it's midday.' Howard stopped. Ten minutes past eleven. "'Sorry?' "'It's ten minutes past eleven. Eleven minutes past, now.' "'You knew that without even looking at your watch,' she said." genuinely impressed. Howard felt a rare feeling of pleasure. You're one of those people with a built-in body clock, aren't you? That would sure be handy. Howard usually disliked talking about his profession. It caused people embarrassment when they either pretended to know what he did or admitted ignorance. I'm a horologist. I repair... Clocks! Wow, that, that's amazing. Must be pretty time-consuming, though. Helen smirked. Howard didn't. He hadn't allowed the time to develop a sense of humor. Yes, it takes a lot of patience. So what kind of things do you fix? Helen said with seriousness. Howard disliked people assuming he only fixed... He also created. He wanted to tell her that he was a pioneer in timekeeping, but that was a conversation for another occasion. He was running out of time. Clocks, wristwatches, pocket watches, timers, anything that ticks. Mr. Tinton emerged from the back, the curtain beads rattling as they disgorged his overly large form. Couldn't fix me then, could you, boy? Mr. Tinton insisted on calling him boy, despite the fact that Howard was in his forties. Howard didn't contradict him. People go to all kinds of lengths to trick time. Helen's joviality stopped so abruptly that Howard cursed Mr. Tinton, despite the discount he gave him on bulk orders. She looked at her feet, and Mr. Tinton put his arm around her, pulling her into his cushioned paunch. There, there, no more of that, girl. This was even more unusual. Howard inched his way closer to the threshold. It's my heart, Howard. It's out of juice. Doc say it's got a few months left. I'm sorry to hear that. No need to fret. I'm getting a new one. Going in for a transplant. New parts, I say. Spent my whole life fixing things. About time I'm the one getting fixed. Just so, Mr. Tinton. But I don't want you to be in any way inconvenienced. My niece Helen here has agreed to take over the business while I rest up. Helen, Howard is one of our most important customers. He orders a lot of specialist material through us.
Howard wondered if it was customary to shake hands now formal introductions had been made, but the idea of contact made his palms suddenly clammy. Helen, do you know much about the business? Helen smiled. Not yet, but I'm sure if everyone is as friendly as you, Howard, I'll pick it up in no time. You'll have to be a little patient with me. Patience was his favorite virtue, but at its mention he became aware of not being aware of the time. It must be 11.19 a.m. at least, he thought. He'd have to walk double speed to make it home for his 11.30 a.m. curfew. Well, pleasure meeting you, Helen. I must be going. Terribly sorry. But you haven't bought anything. The door clanked shut. Got no time, that one, Mr. Tinton said as he left. 3. Monday evening, 10.32 p.m. Did you know that the church regulated time for centuries? They had to calculate the time for Easter, you see, which changes annually in accordance with the lunar phases. Timekeeping was an exalted occupation, a divine art. Howard smiled. It's the mechanics of it all that interests me. I like that every bit is significant. Every cog plays its part. Nothing is superfluous, like a little communist state. He sipped his drink, trying to look debonair. I loathe digital, won't touch the stuff. When people call me asking, do you repair digital watches? I hang up. To replace all of those mechanisms with a tiny chip just seems wrong somehow. I like to see how things work, really examine them, and to watch it all come together, to witness this calculated release of power, the escapement. Well, that's really something. Howard smiled, the figure opposite him, as engrossed. Uh, to be honest, Helen, I like it, because... <laughs> I'm the one winding the cogs. Howard sighed. His reflection sighed back, a milk mustache prominent on his upper lip, an eager listener, but a poor substitute for Helen. 4. Tuesday, the next day, 10.04 a.m. Howard had pondered it all night. How had he managed to lose time like that? As soon as he had left Tintin's hardware store, he had pulled up his cuff to check the time. He was three minutes out. It had been 11.16 a.m. Helen was the cause. Her smile had transfixed time. Howard wasn't a fool. He'd heard about women. His own knowledge had confirmed they were a mysterious breed— they could also be dangerous. Just look at June 5th, 2006. Howard decided it was best to find another hardware store. He had no time in his life for anything else, and the risk Helen posed was too great. Yet his rational mind highlighted the difficulties of getting another supplier. Mr. Tinton had managed to source some unusual products over the years, and the time it would take to locate a new procurer and establish a relationship 
all because a woman had been nice to him, seemed ridiculous. Nevertheless, Howard couldn't shake the feeling of danger. He thought of himself as an intrepid sailor, tossed around in an angry current, helplessly drawn toward a siren song. He would tie himself to the mast like Odysseus if he had to. The bell tolled like an alarm in Howard's mind. Helen's bright face appeared from behind the counter, and Howard wondered how he could ever have feared her. "'Morning, Howard. You're earlier today.' "'Yes, a little. I have to pick up some—' "'Yes, yes, my uncle explained your order. I took the liberty of packing it in advance for you. I know that your time is precious.' Howard was touched, but opened the bag to prevent saying so. <clears throat> Seems to all be in order. I was just about to pop out for coffee. Since you've got a few minutes to spare, I wondered if you'd like to join me. Howard thought of Odysseus and felt the rope that bound him untangle and fall away. But what about the shop? Howard, you are our only customer. If I'm with you, then technically I haven't even left. The coffee house smelt unfamiliar to him. Why queue for coffee when he could put the timer on his percolator at home? He'd never been for a drink with a woman before and was painfully aware he would have to make small talk. I knew it wasn't midday yesterday, Helen said as they sat down with their oversized mugs. Sorry? When you came into the shop, I said it was midday. Yes. Well, I knew it wasn't. Just wishful thinking, I suppose. Helen sipped her drink. Foam caressed her lips for a moment before dissolving. Howard wasn't sure why she was telling him this. Don't you ever count down to things? All the time. By counting down, though, you mean speeding up, said Howard. You weren't counting down yesterday at all, but accelerating time to what you wanted it to be. I suppose so, yes. Don't you ever do that? No. Why wish for the future when you can enjoy the present? Then you haven't been in love, have you, Howard? Howard felt in dangerous territory again. Everything speeds up then, she continued. You can't wait for the minutes to pass until you see them again. You don't know what I'm talking about, do you? Howard guzzled his coffee, burning his tongue in his effort to finish. I really must be going. I, I could walk you back to the shop if you... No, I'm going to stay a little longer. I'm sorry if I embarrassed you. Howard left. Five. Tuesday evening, 11.14 p.m. Helen perplexed Howard. He'd never envisioned a woman in his life. He'd experienced women, of course, though he had paid for them. The first time, on June 5, 2006, had been a rush and a revelation. A quick grope in an alley, her experienced hand with his zipper before the wet release like the energy exchange in a clock, followed sharply by shame as he realized he had not even entered her. She didn't seem to mind, favored it in a way. He assumed he'd still have to pay. 
Now, a seasoned customer, he knew he was paying for the secret embarrassment as well as the pleasure. The first time had been an accident, but it stirred an appetite in him that had lain dormant for many years. If he went out now looking for an illicit encounter, it took a bit more planning. That first time was before he had refined his guardianship of time and regulated his system for breaks. With a bit of ingenuity, he could take his two-hour reprieve at a different time of day. But two hours was still not long to cruise the streets on foot. He knew the local haunts, of course, places where he was guaranteed anonymity as well as value for money. But the police moved women on from time to time, and sometimes it was difficult to track them down. He had his favorites, but tried not to see the same woman too often. Forming attachments made it harder. They were whores, after all. Howard walked along the estuary. The silhouette of the foundry was clear in the distance, and its metallic odor lapped off the river in greeting. As he approached the bridge, he made out the hourglass figure he'd been drawn to before. He liked Sharon, if that was really her name. "'Hello, stranger!' Her customary greeting echoed off the concrete underbelly of the bridge. Howard had never told her his name, and he doubted whether she would remember anyway. Strangers suited them both better. June 5, 2006 was etched in his memory for various reasons. It was the first time he had truly lost sense of temporal space. His conscious mind, preoccupied with minutes, seconds, and decimals, seemed to reset when the orgasm swept through his body. Time wound down and Howard floated in the sea of pleasure. He could hear his ragged breathing, at first distanced from his body, then magnified in his head. His gasps regulated as his heartbeat slowed like the reassuring ticking of a clock, and when he opened his eyes he realized with horror that he was late. Since the loss of five minutes and forty-five seconds, he'd become much more cautious. As Sharon nibbled his ear, Howard wound his watch. Whores were more understanding than people gave them credit. But this time, as Sharon pulled up her skirt, she asked, "'Don't you ever want to take it slower?' "'Excuse me?' Uh, "'Don't get me wrong, I'm not complaining, it's just—' I like you. I feel like I'm taking your money and not really giving you much for it. Howard was happy with their arrangement and said so. One minute and 47 seconds later, Sharon counted her payment as Howard caught his breath. He had even beaten his timer. But later that night, as Howard lay in bed, the concurrent ticking of his clocks, his usual lullaby, only served to taunt him of his rushed intercourse with a prostitute. Perhaps Shera was right. Maybe he should make some time for a woman, a woman who liked him for himself and not his money. He liked Helen. Maybe he should tell her about his workroom. Maybe even let her in. Perhaps they could keep time together. 6. Saturday, four days later, 10.13 p.m. People ignore the importance of chronology, don't you think? 
Helen was talking about a crime novel she had abandoned in the penultimate chapter. I don't understand why stories have to hack at times so much. Fancy flashbacks and leaps forward in the narrative is plain and simple cheating, in my opinion. I gave up on this one for that very reason. You think you've solved the plot? Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Bam! A begrudged co-worker, the protagonist slighted at high school, emerges from the woodwork and is responsible for the whole spate of killings. There should be a law about it. A literary law, Howard laughed. Yes, governed by me. She sipped her cocktail. What do you like to read, Howard? Instruction manuals. The history of Clepsidrus. The Horologist's Guide to Antique Clocks. I, I don't read much, I'm afraid. Not fiction, anyway. The first silence in their conversation filled the space between them and expanded above the noise of the restaurant. My uh, work doesn't allow me much time, Howard said in an attempt to dispel the awkwardness. Oh, yes, tell me about your work. Howard remembered his prepared speech rehearsed in front of the mirror, but it felt too artificial. What do you want to know? Well, if I'm honest, how do you make a living from it? When someone's watch breaks, they just buy a new one these days. I admit my work only caters for a limited few. I have my regulars, as with any trade, specialists and collectors— 
People who want to preserve heirlooms seek me out upon recommendations. The people I do business with appreciate my talents and are willing to pay well. That's really something, Howard. That's what I like about you. You're reliable, unlike a lot of men out there. The last part was muttered into her glass. The waiter brought out their desserts. I know you're a patient man, Howard. I admire that in you, but I hope you're brave enough to seize the moment as well. After all, we don't know how much time we have left, she said, licking chocolate mousse off her spoon. Howard gulped. Bill, please. Howard led Helen along the corridors of his home. A timepiece of sorts hung on every wall. Some of them Helen didn't recognize as clocks. What's that? A clepsidrus, a water clock. It's one of the earliest forms of timekeeping, a relic. I'm a bit of a connoisseur, you see. This whole place should be a museum. Howard took it as a compliment. He fixed Helen a drink, slipping into his workroom while Helen was distracted with his eclectic collection of pocket watches. And the sound, doesn't it drive you mad? How do you get them all in unison? Oh, just a bit of tinkering, Howard called as he finished up his maintenance of time. What's in there? Helen asked as he emerged. My workshop. Can I take a look? No, it's not very tidy at the moment. Are you kidding? This whole place is immaculate. I don't mind. I'd love to see where it all happens. Howard considered opening the door, letting her into his secret world, but it was just too risky. Later, when she understood more about his job, then he would let her in. Perhaps later. Helen pouted. Well, if you're not going to show me that room, perhaps you'll let me take a look at another? Howard led her to the bedroom. She sat on the bed and removed her stilettos. Howard was duly nervous about the next few minutes of his life. Helen giggled as she drank wine. Howard downed his glass and filled up another. No time for that, as Howard was pulled to the bed. Helen removed her dress and guided his hands. Howard thought of clock carriages and the way he tinkered with the insides to get them working. Sometimes that was all it took. But instead of the reassuring touch of metal, Howard's fingers dealt into a fleshy dampness. To overcome his repulsion, he moved his fingers around as if exploring the innards of a clock. A fleshy button like the round smoothness of a pendulum, seemed to govern Helen's rhythmic movement and made her moan, her oscillator. He felt around awkwardly, beginning to understand the strange mechanisms that made her tick. His fingers continued their prodding. He resisted the urge to put on his spectacles. She wasn't a prostitute, he reminded himself. He had to make her work. Nothing. After twenty-six minutes and five seconds of exploring, Helen's body came to a halt amid wordless exclamations Howard took for pleasure. Approximately two minutes later, so did his. 
Afterwards, he lay entwined in Helen's arms and allowed the bliss of post-coital slumber to wash over him. Lying in her arms, he felt time slow down. He could hear his clocks running down, all of them in synchronized deceleration. They needed winding. Why hadn't he noticed it before? He wondered if Helen had. Howard woke, confused. Helen was gone. 7. Saturday, one week later, 9.38 p.m. Helen sat propped up in the armchair in Howard's study. Howard was hunched over his workstation, tinkering with the carriage of a clock. They'd been almost inseparable for a week now, and Howard relished her company as he did his collection of hourglasses surrounding her. She looked beautiful amidst their reflective orbs, but he found he focused on her more than he did his creations. I made each one myself, he told her. The idea came from Ferdinand Magellan, a Portuguese explorer who sailed around the globe. He had eighteen hourglasses per ship to keep the exact time for his ship's logs. A page was entrusted to turn them at different intervals, an hour here, two hours there. What a responsibility! They had even fashioned some that were fitted to wooden frames, so you could turn them simultaneously. I tried that once myself, but I thought it spoiled the look of them. So much more simplistic than clocks. He ran his hand over the curves of the glass bulbs. And I thought to myself, what an incredible thing that young man did, keeping guard of all that time. It isn't the job of a page to keep time, but a king. Helen slumped in her chair. Howard didn't take it personally. It was late, after all. 8. Monday, two days later. 10.32 a.m. Howard smiled as he opened the door to Tintin's hardware, the bell causing a melodious clamor. The word clock had derived from that little Celtic word for bell, which incidentally had also summoned the love of his life with its ringing. "'Morning, Mr. Tintin,' Howard called. "'Morning yourself,' Mr. Tintin replied. Mr. Tintin's usual friendly demeanor was elsewhere today. His eyes were circled with gray, and Howard could detect a stale odor of alcohol on his breath. Best not to linger.' Uh, just my usual order, Mr. Tintin. Mr. Tintin was uncharacteristically slow in putting the products in their brown paper packaging. Was he doing it on purpose? Perhaps he'd taken Helen's resignation badly. For my accounts, Howard, I need to take down a few details, such as your address. This was very unusual. Business had always been conducted without a need for personal invasion. Howard had always insisted on picking up his deliveries in person so he could check that the contents were to his specification. Mr. Tinton had accepted this as one of Howard's many eccentricities. Yet Mr. Tinton was poised, pen in hand. I'm afraid I don't have time today, Mr. Tinton. I must be getting off. He had to get back. He had time and a woman to look after now, 
and though Helen watched him intently as he kept time, she wasn't ready for the responsibility of doing it herself. No, he had to get back. Then I can't give you your order. Howard clenched his teeth. He would speak to Helen about her cantankerous old uncle. Very well. Give my regards to Helen, Mr. Tinton called as the bell tolled. Howard would not let Mr. Tinton's unusual behavior dampen his mood. He thought of Helen sitting in his workroom, her bright smile waiting to greet him when he got home. He'd been right to let her in. She watched him keep time with keen interest, and he'd shown her his tricks to speed up the process. The first time he had let her into his workroom had been filled with trepidation. He worried that she wouldn't understand his great mission, that she would break something. But she had sat patiently in the russet armchair as Howard explained it all. Hourglasses covered every surface. They ranged in height and width. He'd made most of them himself. The curtains were permanently shut as he worried about exposing his creations to sunlight. He knew instinctively when to turn them now. Some needed to be turned more regularly than others. Turning his hourglasses had become a full-time occupation. They each had their own separate rotation pattern. Some needed turning in two-hour cycles, some in four. Like balancing plates, he knew exactly when to give each one his attention. One hourglass could be turned up to twelve times in one day, another only six. He had engineered it so that he had two hours free a day when the hourglasses could stand independently. Apart from 5th June 2006, the sand had never run out. He experimented with the size of bulbs and the amount of sand. The sand itself presented the biggest problem. The quality of the grain determined its velocity through the glass chutes. Howard had tried all varieties of sand, ground eggshell, and archaic components such as ground marble. But his most recent invention was his favorite. He congratulated himself on its ingenuity. What had become his obsession had begun as an experiment— Soon he found he liked the pattern it created in his life. He found himself staying at home in order to keep the sand flowing. Time relied on him, and him alone. There was some kind of grand purpose in the measurement of time. He saw that he was a cog in a bigger mechanism, one that controlled the cycles of the moon and the pull of the tides, a great cosmic force that governed the lives of billions of creatures— and he was a part of it. But with Helen in his life now, he wanted more free time. He wanted to refine his guardianship of time to make it more efficient. It would have been easier with clocks. Slave clocks were used in schools and other institutions when Howard was a boy. These clocks were wired to a main clock, which sent signals on the hour to keep them in time. If Howard could somehow engineer a way of synchronizing his hourglasses to a master, perhaps he could keep time forever without even lifting a finger. 9. Monday evening, 10.35 p.m. Helen lay next to him. He shivered as he snuggled into her body. She was less verbal during sex these days, and 
Howard wondered if she was happy. He had heard that sex between married people became more routine as time went by. They weren't married, not yet, but that's where he wanted it to go, and he liked routine. He'd hoped Helen liked his routine too, but perhaps she was just pretending. Still, he had reduced the twenty-eight minutes and five seconds of their first night of lovemaking to a much more efficient four minutes and ten seconds, and that still required an inordinate amount of restraint on Howard's part. He didn't understand why it had to be such a time-consuming act. Perhaps that was the cause of her discontent. Or could it have been the talk about her uncle? The smile on her face dispelled his thoughts. 10. Thursday, two days later, 11.12 a.m. Howard did not want to return to Tintin's hardware store until the disagreement between Helen and her uncle had abated. He had put it off for days, but was fearfully low on supplies. Helen could not go, so it was left to him. The door rang with its usual greeting. The store was empty. Mr. Tintin was nowhere to be seen. Mr. Tintin? Howard walked through the aisles. No one. Perhaps Mr. Tintin had gone in for his operation, yet that didn't explain why the shop was open. Howard had a vision of Helen's uncle lying on the floor, a hand clutching his chest. He had the sudden impulse of just picking up the goods he needed and leaving his money on the counter. But curiosity led him on. Breaking some kind of unwritten consumer code, he slipped behind the counter. He pulled aside the beaded curtain and peered into the darkness beyond. Mr. Tinton! He heard the sound of a deadbolt being pulled across the shop door behind him. Howard rushed to the counter and saw Mr. Tinton standing in front of the door, a key in his palm. You're going to tell me where my niece is, you bastard. Howard was stunned. Helen didn't tell you? No, she didn't tell me. She hasn't told me anything for nearly two weeks, as you know. Howard wondered if there was a back entrance. Unless you tell me where she is, I'll keep you locked in here. You always seem pretty intent on leaving at 11.20 a.m. I wonder what would happen if you had to spend an afternoon with me. That was not an option. I don't think I can fight your way out, Howard. I'm tougher than I look. Besides, I'll swallow the key in the time it takes you to get to me. Howard considered what Mr. Tinton said. He needed time to figure out what to do, to consider his options, things that were suddenly in short supply. Now you tell me your address, Howard. I'm a patient man. I can wait. Howard made it 11.17 a.m. Damn, Tinton. Helen couldn't maintain time yet, not on her own. He was backed into a corner. And don't lie to me, Howard, because if you do, I'll keep you here for the rest of your rotten life. 11.19 a.m. If he complied with Mr. Tinton now, he still had time to run back to the flat to meet his curfew. The clock is ticking. Howard told him his address. 
Mr. Tinton was faster than he looked. By the time Howard had negotiated the counter, Mr. Tinton was out the door and closing it behind him. Howard ran at it. His hand reached for the handle as Mr. Tinton attempted to lock it from the outside. Howard forced it open, pushing his shoulders into the gap and getting one arm through. The door was suddenly weightless, and Howard thought Tinton must have fled when it was slammed heavily on his fingers. He let out a cry and clutched his hand. He heard the door lock with bitter finality. 11. Thursday, 11.55 a.m. Howard sat propped up against the counter, cradling his throbbing hand. It was definitely broken. He hadn't even bothered looking for an escape route. He knew the old man had locked him in good and proper. He must have been planning it for days. Even if he had managed to escape, he would never make it back in time. His mind returned to Helen, the first night in his workroom. He sat her down, and Howard had taken the hinge off a clock to show her how he would repair it. This is the pendulum, see? It's the easiest bit to repair in a clock, and seems to get all the credit for making everything tick, he chuckled. But see here, this bit is the mainspring. Its job is just as important. You can touch it if you like. She didn't. This is my favorite part. It's called the escapement. It transforms rotational movement into an oscillating motion. It does this by freeing one gear tooth on a mechanical wheel at each swing of the pendulum. This is where the magic happens. This is what makes it tick. 11.59 a.m. Howard was out of time. 6. Continued. Saturday, 12 days ago. 2.43 a.m. Howard woke confused. Helen was gone. Helen? Howard called. He got out of bed and put on his dressing gown. Helen? The door to his workroom was open. He rushed to it. He prayed she hadn't touched anything. Why couldn't she just be patient? Helen sat in the chair in the corner of the room. Howard, I've discovered your secret. I said I'd show you this room another time. I'm sorry, curiosity got the better of me. You're not mad, are you? Everything seemed to be in place. Time seemed unscathed by her presence. This place is something else. These hourglasses are beautiful. Howard smiled. Perhaps he was wrong to hide his mission from Helen. He moved to go to her, to wrap her in his arms. But why is the sand gray? Howard stopped in his tracks. How could he explain that his quest, his obsession, came with a certain cost? It's almost like ash. It's a carbon compound, he agreed quickly. It slows the sand down due to the size of the particles. Oh, she said, picking up the hourglass closest to her, holding it to the light. No, Howard began, but she began to turn it over. Howard's universe was in jeopardy. 
He ran towards her and gripped her wrist. The hourglass was horizontal between them, the sand frozen in their symmetrical domes. Time suspended. And in that moment, void of time, Howard lost his grasp of the present. The smash of glass jolted him back into reality, time diffusing like the escaping sand. When he placed the hourglass back down and the trickle of sand resumed its steady flow as if it had never been interrupted, he saw a second stream spouting from a fissure in the glass, its progress slower because something red dripped with it. The globular mixture dripped onto the carpet languorously. Howard couldn't take his eyes away from it because he knew what he would see. He stood there for approximately twenty-five minutes, reflecting on the second time in his lifetime had stopped, conscious all the while that Helen's inert body lay at his feet. Twelve, Thursday, 11.59 a.m. Mr. Tinton made his way up the flight of stairs to Howard's flat. He didn't knock but pounded at the door, and when he realized he would get no answer, he kicked it down. He found her in a small dark room that looked like a workroom. She sat unmoving in the corner. Helen? He pulled at the curtains and midday light poured into the room. Mr. Tinton couldn't see for the sparkling light that rebounded off a multitude of glass surfaces. When the light settled down, Mr. Tinton gasped. Helen's body was interwoven with mechanical parts. Her arms bore wire-like tendons that were met at her shoulder blades in a series of cogs and bolts. Wires emerged from her spine and neck cavity, reaching into her jaw, hinged together with large screws. Her face was much the same apart from her mouth, the corners of her lips were stretched to reveal a grotesque smile pinned artificially to her face. Suddenly, noise vibrated off every surface in the room as a hundred clocks chimed midday. Then, with mechanical slowness, Helen's body began to move. The cogs in her shoulder turned with painful sluggishness, and a pulley forced her arm into midair. An intravenous tube ran from her forearm to the top of an hourglass attached to her hand. Mr. Tinton watched its slow orbit as Helen turned the hourglass and placed it back down again. A thick red substance poured down the center and into the base of the glass bulb. With the glass turned... Helen's body resumed its stationary position, her artificial smile giving the impression of a macabre mannequin. She would be locked in position until the hourglass was full again. Mr. Tinton moved to touch her, but stopped when he realized her eyes followed his movement. She blinked. Her eyelashes fluttered in desperation. The whites of her eyes grew larger imploring her uncle to set her free. She was alive. Mr. Tinton clutched his chest. His heart raced, beating faster as it broke.
That was Victoria Leslie's Timekeeping, as read by Martin Rato. I always love hearing from Martin. In a variegated working life, Martin has been a parent, a technical writer, and software developer, a teacher of creative writing, computer science, and business communication, symphony, musician, and audiobook narrator. He has published short fiction and two collections of his poetry. And that will be our show for the evening. Join us again next week for another episode of Tales to Terrify. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 